Well, hey, welcome to another episode of Digging Deeper. Brandon Grant, Robert Pedroza, we're here today. Father's Day was last Sunday. Howard yesterday. Booker. Yeah, it was yesterday. <laughs> Still yesterday. Yeah. I'm really tired, I think. Yeah. Man, that was yesterday. You're right. Yeah. Howard Booker was here. Yeah. Um, what an awesome guy. Incredible. He's with the In-N-Out Foundation, things like that. He talked about fatherhood. What was a kind of highlight moment for you throughout that conversation? I just think listening to Howard's journey um, of how he went about uh, adopting his two boys. I, I love, well, I, I know his sons and they're just incredible yeah. young men, but to just hear the story of how he went about choosing those boys, how he intentionally wanted to keep the two boys together as brothers, how he named one of his sons Marcus because of another experience he had with a different foster kid. I mean, it was like, it was like, man, my heart was like, that yeah. is the heart of a father mm -hmm. and uh, super inspiring. And the heart for fatherhood yeah. in general. And yeah. he really kind of, that's almost his his beating drum as he talks about fatherhood and family over and over again. Yeah. I just, I, I love the man's heart. Um, you know, fatherhood is something that I think that we talk about and we kind of know some statistics about. I want to read a couple statistics. 90% of homeless and runaways in America all come from fatherless homes. And here's the crazy thing is, is that I saw the statistic and I almost had to like fact check it and everywhere I find it, it's true. 43% of children in the U.S. don't live with their father. 43%. Almost crazy. half of it's families crazy. and households in the United States don't have a father present. And, and I was thinking through this and it brought me back to the book of Malachi. And I realized this isn't a new problem. And the book of Malachi talks about kind of the, the I love that you, you connected to Malachi. Like, <laughs> some people are like, what, where's that found? <laughs> Mal, well, it's, it's four chapters Old Testament long. In the Bible. Yeah. yeah, yeah I'm four. just saying, I love that. Like, oh yeah, of course. Fatherhood Malachi. Well, I, it's one of, <laughs> I, I, I was what I was reading. So okay. you connect sometimes to what you're reading yeah. presently. And so in Malachi, it's kind of talking about, you know, the, the brokenness, the dysfunction, the mix up of priorities amongst the people. And I love it. The very last verse or second to last verse, it's at the very end of Malachi. The solution that he presents is that he will restore the hearts of parents back to their children and children back to their parents. And it's this, this heart that Howard shared where he said, does it say specifically parents or fathers? It's his parents. Okay. Um, but, you know, yeah. there's a different cultural thing. Anyway, but I, I love this whole heart that Howard kind of embodies, I think, where he he said it at one point. He said, the answer isn't exciting, but the answer is the family. Yeah. The answer for so much of the brokenness and division and all over the place, it's, it's the family. Now, I know that you come from a family that is pretty rooted um, and had a lot of values and things like that. How do you feel like that kind of gave you, and let's just speak plainly about this, some advantages? Sure. And, and and what has it done to kind of help you kind of have a different perspective as you move forward as an adult and as a father yourself? Yeah, I, it's interesting because I, I never really, I mean, I was always grateful for my family, but I didn't mm -hmm. really realize the uniqueness of the family unit that I came from until I got older and saw, evidently like 43% of people don't even have their dad in the yeah. household. Um, but the level of security that I experienced growing up of just knowing my mom and dad were there and always were going to be there, um, the comfort of coming home and having a consistent set of faces uh, to welcome me there, to affirm me, to, to be there to challenge me, all those types of things probably have built a greater resolve in me, uh, yeah. to be honest, as far as like um, that that 
that I'm comfortable in my own skin. You mm -hmm. know, my identity is really anchored and rooted because I'm not searching for whose son am I, you know, and, and like trying to figure out like, well, I've got this parent and this parent and, and this step parent and, and, but I'm trying to figure out like, whose am I? Like, I, I just, it, there's a wholeness I think that comes from it. And it's not to speak negatively um, against those who come from blended families, but I yeah. do think that I just, I just have to, I didn't have to navigate through that. And, um, and the more I'm around people that that is their story, um, some of the things that I hear that they struggle with, I'm like, oh, I, that that really has never entered my mind. And it's not because I've worked through it. It's just because I never had to deal with it. Yeah. And so how has that influenced even the way that you are a dad now? Well, I mean, I think that my, my wife, Jamie, uh, you know, her parents were married 36, 7, 8 years. I don't know. They've been a long time. My parents were married over 40 years. Wow. Like, so they're... Divorce is just not an option. Yeah. But it's not even one of those things where like, we're just hoping we can make it. Like we we just have a resolve of staying married because we love being married. And I think that's a beautiful thing is we both came from families that had parents that they enjoyed each other. They were they were best friends. And I think that's what Jamie and I would say is kind of the bedrock of our of our marriage is we've always wanted to be best friends and we wanted to pursue having an extraordinary marriage rather than what we say is a run of the mill mediocre marriage. That was a part of our vows. Mm -hmm. It's but but that didn't happen just because we said, Hey, let's make that a great goal. Like yeah. it was because we just lived with it growing up. And as we got older, we recognized that that was a huge blessing and a gift that not everybody had. And so we said, we've got to continue to pass this on. Uh, Howard talked about changing generational uh, cycles. Yes. We don't want to change that generational cycle. We want to continue to give our kids that same upbringing. Yeah. And, and you kind of talked about how you see some of the things that other people have to deal with the more you're around people. Um, this is a vulnerable moment for me, but you saw even my struggle yeah. with Father's Day this year and just some of the... Uh, to be real, the insecurities that kind of came up, just the unsureness mm -hmm. of myself and how to handle different situations. I, I didn't grow up with the best fatherhood examples and trying to navigate through all those different complications. And then at the same time, trying to, again, break that generational cycle and, um, and be different for my kids and for my girls and things like that. And so when you come from a, um, a background where, things were really good and yeah. things were pretty copacetic and even positive and all those different things. How do you relate and how do you actually speak to into and how do you pastor people that come from backgrounds that are not like that? That's a great question because mm -hmm. I think that it has become one of the most difficult parts for me in, in ministry, okay. especially in a church that is filled with families. Mm -hmm. um, and probably at least a third of them being blended families. I think that I lean into the hope of the gospel yeah. and the restoration that comes uh, in Jesus of making all things new and creating new creations yeah. and trying to point people in that direction, uh, speaking to what was good about my upbringing and what I would encourage and hope people to experience in their own family units. But I haven't experienced the uh, just the pain at mm -hmm. times that comes with with divorce and things. So I, I, I don't try to say, Oh, I, I know, I know what you're saying, or I know how you oh, feel. I, I know how you feel. Like yeah. I, those, those types of comments are, would be so insincere okay. and, and not true. Um, but I, but I have found the hope of Christ and the restoration of Christ in my life. Good. And that is a very real and, um, 
powerful dynamic that has transformed my life so I can keep sharing that with people. Um, but I just then sit with empathy with others um, because in most cases, especially when you're talking about kids, like that, it wasn't, it's never been, it's not their fault. Mm-hmm. And so like try to have empathy and understand and point them to um, what still could happen in God bringing great strength in their character as well as identity and, um, and really creating a new future. And, you know, brokenness is pretty universal. Um, yeah. It looks different, but that's the gospel. Yeah, brokenness is the human experience. It's the human experience. <laughs> it is. And the gospel is about restoration, about redemption, it's about newness, about all those things. And so it transcends specific circumstances in that way. And so, um, yeah, powerful, powerful, powerful. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, what happened yesterday. So Howard was in a room kind of talking about how important fatherhood was. And I couldn't help but look around and think, there's great fathers in this room. Yeah. So what is the responsibility? If you are like being a father and you're present and you chose to go to church and take your family to church on Father's Day and you're that guy in the room and then you're going to church and you're hearing like, we've got to be good fathers. And you're kind of like, I, I, I am. I am. I'm I think I'm doing I, a good I, job. Yeah. What is the, the burden of responsibility for Christian fathers in a society where sometimes fatherhood is broken down? What is our role? How do we speak into that? Do we just lead a good life and be a good example? How do we shine to others, um, to put it in the language of our own mission statement? Yeah, I, I think that Howard's word that he came back to over and over again about being intentional yeah. um, is a word that I think we should place upon all fathers. Mm. Um, there's an incredible book called The Intentional Father by John Tyson that has been um, really formative and important to me, and I would recommend people reading it okay. because it's... It's not just, it's great to take your kids to church. Yeah. That is that is a step, and it is an important step. And hopefully it's a step that the father is leading the example in. It's not like the wife or the mom, they're like, hey, you're, you got to come to church. And you're like, okay, fine, I'll come, you know, and begrudgingly come. Like, but yeah. if you're leading the way, that's one step. But, but there's still Monday through Saturday. And what happens in the home, and I think this is what Howard was getting at, like what your kids see. Do they see you continually pursuing God in your own life, in your home, in your work? Are you having those conversations? Are you, as you're going to this place or going to that place, are you are you pointing out things to help their, your kids maybe see God uh, working and moving? Are you yeah. processing their pain with them and trying to help them look to Jesus as, as a source of healing? Are you encouraging them in terms of forgiveness and, and pointing to Jesus in the way that he forgives them? Um, like even this morning, <laughs> this just came to my mind. Like, uh, so one of my sons is at baseball camp this week and my daughter is at middle school camp Yeah, leaving, uh, my two youngest together. And my two youngest generally are the ones that don't get along very well. <laughs> and my daughter, um, she's just like, oh my gosh, I have the whole week to spend with Connor. <laughs> and I just, I told her, I said, we're praying today for patience and strength mm-hmm. that you would have with your younger brother. And I said, repeat after me. I said, I will have patience and strength. God, give me patience and strength, just like you have patience and strength with me, God. Because does not God have patience and strength with you, Hope? Because, I mean, you're a handful too when you think about how you are with him. She's like, how? How? And I was like, well, do you ever do things you know you're not supposed to do? Do you, do you ever sin? Do you ever have? Yeah, well, think about, how, think about what God thinks about that. Yeah, what a great teaching And I think moment. that those are just, those are the types of moments as a father as being intentional and like, what are ways I'm going to have conversations, you know? How we're talked about how do you how do you have you know vested interest but also deepening relationship with your kids 
you have conversations with them and mm-hmm. you, you help guide them. You, you have the conversation before the culture has a conversation with them. All those types of things are intentionality. And I think as a father, as a Christian father, mm-hmm. that is the burden of responsibility that I wear. And I, and I do it in partnership, of course, with my wife and people who are watching. Maybe, you know, like um, it's co-parenting or whatever the case may be. Yeah. But you have to be intentional. It's not just coming to church. Um, it's much more than that. Yeah, it's not just a checkbox. There's more yeah. to it. Yeah. And there's obstacles. Howard talked about the obstacles that are there. He talked about, I, I love that he said, my kids don't know that I'm reading the Bible. They just oh, see yeah, me yeah. on my phone, right? Yep. And things like that. And so now that, and I know this is something that you are passionate about. <laughs> when he was talking about it, I was like, oh, he's speaking he's Brandon's love, language. love yep. language right now. Yep. This idea of how the more digital we get, the more obstacles that we face and things like that. What other obstacles are you seeing in your example as a father that kind of this digital revolution has kind of created in your dynamic? Well, I I feel like I have to spend a majority of my parenting hours not with my kids, but trying to like like do an audit of all the things that they're potentially going to watch or listen to yeah. because there is so many agendas now baked within, you know, what they watch on if it's Netflix or Disney or whatever, you know, your, Mm -hmm. your streaming services. Um, the same thing, uh, with music. I mean, my kid, we have that little Google home device, you know, and, and sometimes my kids would be like, Hey Google, you know, and they'll play this. And all of a sudden they'll start playing. I'm like, well, what, what is that? (laughs) You know, and I'm like listening to lyrics or whatever. And so I think there's, there's, there's a part of me that feels like it's exhausting at times just trying to like monitor all that. And so it's just easier for me at times to say we're getting rid of all that, <laughs> um, at least in this stage for my kids because okay. they're still younger. Um, because what I have found is that in my own life, and I'm, I'd be interested to see if this is true for you, but yeah. just in general, like the more options you have, the greater levels of discontent you feel. Absolutely. And now that That's we true. have so many stinking options and the digitalization of everything creates options in everything and customization of everything our kids are going to be dissatisfied with everything. Well, because not only does it increase the options, it increases the exposure to all the options. Yeah, and buyer's remorse is real in every decision. Because if I buy something (laughs) and then I'm going through social media or something else and I see a better deal or for a better product or a different, you know, type of friendship, a different type of everything, right? Yeah. Opportunity, you name it, right? All of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, you're more aware of everything, mm-hmm. which creates this anxiety of, did I make the right choice? Because you know what all the choices might be. Yeah. And then you're constantly updated about how the choices are coming about and yeah. how they're becoming new choices all the time. There's always a new thing. I feel like I buy a new iPhone and they're like, did you buy the new iPhone? I'm like, I thought I just did, <laughs> you know? And like, like I just got AirPods. And like, yeah. it seems like there's always the latest and greatest. It's always coming out yeah. and we're always behind yeah. when it comes to that. So. Yeah. And and if we as parents give ourselves over to that rat race, our kids will be conditioned to believe that life is the rat race. And so if we mm. want our kids to actually not get sucked up in it all, yeah. all that stuff, we have to lead by example in that and ourselves not get sucked up in all of that. And that's hard. Mm. But that's the idea of it's caught more than taught. Yeah, you know, so I tell my kids, hey, you know, you know, you know, you can't have a phone until this time. Well, what, Dad, you have your phone. You're always on your phone. Or mom, same thing, whatever. And it's like, so I don't just listen to those and try to be defensive. I like lean in. It's like, you're right. Mm-hmm. And I at times apologize to my kids. You know, you're, you're right. Mm-hmm. And and so we're going to back off of this and we're not going to do this. And, and because I want my kids to see congruency with 
what I tell them and how I live and not just say, well, well I'm an adult and you're a kid. Yeah. Well, that just tells you that then there's reasons to have delineation and division and even like you can do certain things. Like I just, I want consistency and congruency because that even comes back to what you said earlier. It's like that, that's, that was one of the things that I didn't realize was so valuable of just having two sets of parents who were there all the time for my whole life. Yeah. Consistency and congruency. And that just helped me have stability. You know, I'm hearing you say that not only is it an obstacle for trying to monitor what your kids do, but also monitor yourself and make sure that you have congruency with yeah. what you're preaching and what you're actually practicing. Yeah. You know, it's funny because um, as you we were talking too, it made me think, you know, it used to be kind of said like, I just want to raise my kids to be productive members of society. And the more that we fall into that rat race of trying to keep up with the latest and the greatest, being aware of all the options, having buyer's remorse, yeah. we're becoming more and more consumers. And and if we're not careful, if we get so wrapped up in this whole like trying to get the latest and greatest and try to keep up with everything, we'll teach our kids to be consumers, not producers in that sense. And so I, yeah. I just was trying to read between the lines on some of those things. But yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I think that if we really, as Christians, believe that Jesus says to be a city on a hill hmm. and to shine bright yeah. and have distinction, right? Do not be conformed by the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like there's supposed to be noticeable differences. And so I just think that that means at times there's a countercultural aspect of our life following Jesus because we're not going to allow ourselves to get sucked into the cultural tide of things. That's right. And that's hard. It is hard. And that is intentionality. That's that's at time a parenting at times is just as much about me taking inventory of me as me taking inventory of my kids. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. And, and to think that one of the reasons, multiple reasons God gave me and entrusted me with my children, but it wasn't just to raise them to be, you know, productive members of society. It's also for me to be reproved and sanctified as a saint of Jesus and to have those different elements that are unsanctified still within me. My mm-hmm. kids produce that. And so I have to be willing to learn from them as much as I'm asking them to learn from me. That's good. It's yeah. powerful. And our culture is um, filled with different conversations and agendas. And obviously, I'm not agenda isn't the right word for this, but conversation. And so we're um, we're on the cusp of uh, Juneteenth. It's it's actually Juneteenth observed today. It was Juneteenth oh, yeah. yesterday. And so I know that that was part of the conversation to some extent. Now, when it comes to kind of these conversations about racial divisions and all these different relational, cultural type of things going on, there can be kind of like two major extremes. You can kind of ignore that any of these things are real and really kind of push the conversation away. And there's a part of me that as a Christian, I'm like, we need to fight for justice. We need to, mm-hmm. we need to champion these things. We need to speak up for marginalized people groups. You know, pure religion is taking care of orphans and widows, the uh, marginalized groups of people in yeah. our society. And then there's a whole nother part of me that says we need to focus on the kingdom of God and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else is going to figure itself out. I wonder when it comes to all the conversations that are happening in our culture, all the different things that that are coming to light and and how people are feeling and how people are, are trying to navigate through life and differences and diversity and things like this, what is our response? What should the Christian response be to this? How much do you lean into and say, no, we're going to focus and stay focused on Jesus? And how much do we say the heart of Jesus also cares about these things too. What should our response be and how do we how do we navigate through those things? I mean, I, I kind of just want to have a discussion about it because it's a wrestle for me. You know, I, I don't always know how to respond. Um, I know that a lot of people don't know how to respond. I know it's 
kind of sometimes feels like treacherous waters. You feel like anything that you say could become like almost criminalized, you know, (laughs) and you're like, you know, am I going to get labeled one way or another, depending Mm -hmm. on what I'm going to say? Like, how do you navigate? How do you know what to do? How do you know what to say? The right time to say it, the right, right, the right way to say it. How do you know? Yeah. I don't have answers for any of that. Okay. I'm, I'm day by day learning, Mm -hmm. experimenting, taking two steps forward, one step back. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely see a, to use the same word earlier, a congruency mm-hmm. between the heart of Christ, kingdom diversity, and the representation of, of different races and ethnics, ethnicities of people. Yeah. And I definitely see in our cultural context, as far as culture being America, that, that we've got some, some stains in our past that, that, I am fortunate and I have had privilege as being someone who's white. Hmm. Um, that's not me becoming woke. <laughs> that's me okay. just saying like, yeah, I have opportunities. I didn't realize as I've had conversations with others that like, oh, I, I didn't know that. Like, like Miles McPherson is a pastor here you know, in mm-hmm. San Diego. And I, I've, I love the way he talks about, uh, he kind of looks at race, and he also then talks about being right-handed versus left-handed. Like the world that we live in is created for right-handed people. Hmm. I mean, that's just how it is. And when you take a step back, a lot of the world that we live in um, has been created with white people in mind. And I, I don't have to apologize for that. Okay, I've just benefited from that without even knowing. But like, you know, when my friends are sharing like, yeah, I, I, uh, I couldn't use face, uh, face ID for a while because my face was black. It's like, mm. oh, interesting. Or I always had to give a, a, a white thumbs up emoji <laughs> for a long time. It's like, yeah, that, that's probably odd. Like, I, I can't imagine if I, I, that'd be weird if I sent a black thumbs up emoji from me, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, but it was just the way things were created. And I don't think people are, there are groups and sects of people that do things like that with. Uh, ill intent and then there's others that just like oh I, it's it's kind of just the world we live in so as i've had more awareness and my eyes have been opened up to those things like i do want to help in creating uh, a space and a place in a world where where man there's there's beauty seen in in color and in diversity yeah. that every tribe tongue language and nation are represented around the table and and god wouldn't have made people with different colors and skin tones if he didn't think that that was a beautiful thing and a necessary mm-hmm. thing. Okay. So to, like, as Howard mentioned yesterday, to say, I, I don't see color, it's like, well, in the sense of, like, we're all redeemed and saved by the blood of the Lamb, yeah, there's amen. A- but, like, but there are black people, and there are brown people, and there are white people, and there are light-skinned people, and dark, like, and that's a beautiful thing. I see the creative genius of God in that. Mm-hmm. And so I do want to stand up for those things. And I do want to have people have opportunity. Um, I also look to the scriptures big time because I think sometimes things get lumped into identity pieces, as I've referred to here on this podcast before, yeah. that aren't in that same category. And and I know that's controversial, um, but I, I just think that there are, there are things that I need to look to the Bible and say, what does Jesus say about this? Okay. Right? And how did, how did Jesus respond in the situation? And... And that helps inform me along the way. I don't think it's a carte blanche, like be who you are and everything's accepted and Jesus loves everybody. Yeah, He loves everybody, but he doesn't accept everybody's actions and behaviors. If sure. that was the case, he wouldn't have died on the cross. Yeah, Evidently, a lot of actions and behaviors missed the mark and it cost him his life. And so I, I'm always trying to figure out like, like even our own context, like 
I know people get really sometimes unnerved with me or, or like when like, hey there's gonna like when George Floyd and I was like I talked about it for like four weeks in a row and like yeah. enough's enough or like yesterday why are we talking about Juneteenth it's like because because I live in a part of San Diego County that has roots with racism and KKK presence mm. and I I myself grew up in a small farm town that there was one black family and everyone called him Black Bob and I didn't know any different I was like, oh, that's Black Bob. Until I got to my college and people, I, I was telling a story about Black Bob and people looked at me like, what did you just say? No, I was like, you I, can't I'll, say that. I was like, I didn't know. I'm, I'm white branded. Like, I didn't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, and I had my eyes opened to see, like, yeah. man, I, I have things within me that are like biases and stereotypes. And, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't know an Asian person until I went to college at, at 20 years of age. And now you're sitting with one. Yeah, so. and now I'm sitting with one and I'm learning about so like, yeah. So as I learn and I see the beauty in that, I, I want others to see that because I think the heart of God's in that. But at the same time, I'm not going to jump on the cultural train of of what's labeled as wokeism and and everything has to be about yeah. this and every type of action is permissible. Like that, that to me is not theologically sound and it's not Jesus honoring. Hmm. Um, I, I saw something um, the other day that like when Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, um, and people use that as saying, see, he was wanting everybody to feel welcomed and loved and included. I think that's looking at it through the lens of today's world. Yeah. I think he did love people and wanted them included, but he had an agenda. He wanted people's hearts to be transformed hmm. so that they would leave their life of sin and experience the fruit of kingdom living. Yeah. So it didn't matter if he was with Jewish people. It didn't matter if he was with tax collectors or sinners. And Jewish people were ta- sinners as well, Gentiles. All of them he had an agenda for, and it was for them to experience life as he had intended, which is walking away from sin and walking towards the goodness of God. And so if we just stop the story of like, yeah, Jesus did all this just to just to be with people and make everyone feel happy, that's bull crap. Yeah, it's missing the point. Yeah, it's missing the point yeah. because keep reading and he calls them to repent and to change their life. Yeah. And I'm called to repent. That changes my mind. You're Me called too. to repent. So. Yeah. So all that said, like that's a kind of a diatribe, but it's mm-hmm. for me, like I'm not gonna stop talking about it because I have friends who I dearly love and I see where they're coming from. Yeah. But I don't think it's the major agenda of of, of the mission of Jesus Christ is to champion diversity. Yeah. You know, like okay. I, I think it's one of, and I think right now as our culture is really leaning in on it and coming to a time maybe of cultural repentance of it, then I think it's important for the church to speak in that. But I don't know in 50 years that it might, we might be past this and there's something else. There's so there's different else. seasons at times because the gospel penetrates every avenue and environment of life. Every single aspect of society. Yeah. Yes. So how do I speak to the gospel and the transformational power of Jesus in all of those spheres, whether it be in my household, my work, in, in racial dynamics, in economics, it, yeah. it doesn't matter. That's right. So I, it's pertinent in all. So why wouldn't I share examples and speak in and lean into those in all? So how do you know, as a pastor, because this is something I wrestle with sometimes, what to speak into when culture's talking about it, and what to kind of hold back on and, and you know, kind of, I don't know, speak about something else <laughs> on something? I know it's a hard question. How do you know what to pick and what to avoid sometimes? Avoidance for me oftentimes is more platforms and where I'm talking about it versus the avoidance of the topic. Yeah. 
Okay, because there are places that I just know are landmines, mm-hmm. and I'm not. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to be heard the way that my heart is trying to speak. Mm-hmm. So I'm just not going to go there. Yeah. Um, I trust our church. Maybe that's naive of me, but I love Rise City, and a part of us me being too. a church family. Yeah. Is we're going to have family conversations, and so we're going to talk about it at church. But I'm not doing a lot of social media stuff and all that kind of thing, and posting and and replying back in the comment section. I'm just not going there. Yeah. Um, as far as what to talk about, what not. I think a lot of it has to do with trying to pray. Ask, is this something that seems to be saturated in Scripture? And then I also talk to our staff. I talk yeah. to other Christians, like, what so do you think? And at? what are you sensing? And what do you feel? And so um, those are some of the ways that I try to navigate through it. Because, And then, yeah, I'll, just, I'll leave it there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, because it it's challenging. I think that being a pastor in today's society, when there's so many conversations, just like you kind of mentioned that the options are more in front of us than ever before. And the more options that we have, the more yeah. anxiety we, we get and all the different struggles that we have and things like that. And then there's this, this pool to how do we respond to those things when people are hurt? Like the loving thing is to respond, but how do you respond? Yeah. And I think that's the challenge that you face in ministry. It's a challenge that we face as pastors of how do we respond in a way that's loving and life-giving? Yeah. How do we respond in a way that's actually going to create hope and healing in people so that they will be turned towards Jesus because it's mm-hmm. in Jesus's name? Yeah. Like how can we actually do that in the middle of today's culture when there's so many things that are popping up? And I and I wrestle with it. So I appreciate your heart to say, I'm trying to find the balance. Yeah. I'm trying to find the balance to say that's not the main crux of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not the main agenda, but it is in the heart of Christ. And I want to mirror that. Mm-hmm. And I want to have some linear like living yeah. in the way that I'm I'm living and, and being an example and a witness for Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess my last thought is I just, I do pay attention to the news Yeah, because I know everybody else does. Mm. And I also though, I start with the Bible, like in, in seminary, they teach you this term exegesis, yeah. right? So you need to, what was the author's original intent? I want to read, jump into the cultural setting. And I want to extract from it what the Bible's saying That's right. it, and not impose into it. Eisegesis is taking my culture and putting into yeah. the Bible. So I start with the Bible, but then I say, what, is, what does the scripture say about the current cultural context? And I think if I choose not to speak about certain things of the culture from a biblical worldview, mm-hmm. it creates this direct or indirect understanding that the Bible is irrelevant to today, which it's not. And so I intentionally want to forge culture into scripture and not make it inform scripture, but scripture inform culture That's and right. to say, this is why the Bible is That's still right. active and living today. Um and, and the other part of it is like my personal life. Like, so certain things make it to the table and other things don't because mm-hmm. if I haven't lived it, I don't have experience. I think one of the things I'm so passionate about, even with Kingdom Diversity, is like I have a lot of friends who are black as well as Asian. Mm-hmm. So I care about that. Sadly, a lot of people that I meet that don't want to have the conversation don't have a lot of friends of, of different, you know, colors of skin or ethnicities. And so it's like in parenting, I've never preached a parenting sermon yet like in the terms of like a series never done it because i i'm still in the chemistry lab with my kids now i'll do some one-offs and things like that but an entire series is like i think now i could actually speak to how to parent or go about parenting with elementary kids but i haven't had a kid in high school yet who am i to golly my kids could still go off the rail yeah. or do awesome i don't know so yeah. So I think from personal experience as well, it's like, do I have a little bit of experience to speak from? If not, then I better be careful too. Yeah. So that's good. Anyway, so that's, that's probably our time, huh? Yeah, that's probably our time. So, there. well, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on Digging Deeper. See you.